0: So, Will, this is our last episode of Mutants and Mailbags. That's right. Yeah, it's an end of an era, and we're also between seasons and our regular uh, stuff. Like, uh, so we really not. Co- we don't know what we're covering next. So, we haven't announced it yet. I
1: think it's time to do that. Let's do that. So. Uh, first of all, replacing mutants in mailbags, we don't know the name yet, but we are going to cover, like we've said before, some John Byrne written issues of the Fantastic Four. It's very near and dear to me and Kevin's heart. They are terrific comics. Yeah, and we'll
0: be doing kind of the same way where we cover like three or four issues and then answer some uh, listener mail yeah his run is not nearly as long as claremont so maybe we'll do the whole thing but also i can imagine us at some point losing steam moving on to something yeah we'll go moving on to something else as well
1: and then uh for our regular sort of seasons because we have this extremely confusing thing where there's our mailbag right. episodes and then our regular seasons we're going to do two episodes on love and rockets which is just a personal favorite of mine and I, I just selfishly want to do a little bit on that. And then we're going to do Squadron Supreme, six episodes probably on Squadron Supreme, the 12-issue the twelve issue miniseries. Do
0: two issues an episode. And we have
1: other plans for special episodes that we're going to do mixed in there. Don't you worry. We will not be consistent enough to be popular.
0: Yeah, you won't be able to follow what's coming up next. But this gives you a general idea of some things that will probably happen at yeah. some point in the near
1: future. So we got some John Byrne Fantastic Four and Squadron Supreme for sure are coming up. We're not leaving the 80s yet. <laughs> Not yet, but we are going to get to this century at some point. <laughs> All right, uh, let's start the episode. Screw it, screw it, we're just talk about comics. Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. The only podcast in human history where two brothers talk about something they like. I'm one of the two brothers, and I'm also a kind of comedian and a lifelong comic book fan. My name is Will Hines. I'm his brother, Kevin Hines. And uh, Kevin, we, this is a momentous episode. We are reaching the end of our world famous mutants and mailbags.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's been a long time coming. That was, we've been reading for over a hundred issues. Uh, um, over a hundred regular issues, plus a handful of annuals and Wolverine miniseries and one original graphic novel, one giant sized issue. Uh, we've covered a lot of Chris Claremont's X-Men, most of which, we had never read before. Yeah, because we had our finger on the pulse of what was popular. Because
1: we had our instinct on what was going to matter in Marvel comics. So I bought every appearance of Cloak and Dagger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I got a lot of Terry Austin inked stuff. Sure. Um, you know, I bought a half of the Thing solo series. So I'd I mean, say I knew what was going on. I mean, I
0: did not miss an issue of Spider Man 2099 or Doom 2099 when those came out. X Men,
1: mm, no not going to last. No, thank you.
0: When, you. when you know when a comic has the year in the title, that's got a lasting
1: power that the X Men didn't have. <laughs> you know when something is the fifth spinoff of a main title, that's the one you got to keep your eye on.
0: Yeah, yeah. Web of Spider Man? Now you've got me talking. <laughs> Like Marvel Team-Up, but worse? (laughs) Marvel Team-Up was the first book I put on my poll list, and it was
1: canceled two issues later. I remember that, yeah. So uh, I really, I could call them. You know how to call it, yeah. So we are going to do issues of the Uncanny X-Men 198, 199, and 200. Yeah. Um, And they're really good issues, I think. And then we're going to walk away from this. And I guess we'll do a little wrap-up maybe maybe after. Yeah. Um, I think that makes sense. And uh, spoiler, I, I'm glad we did all this. And I do feel like my knowledge has been filled in a lot of an era that I do. I do feel like it's fair to say that we are familiar with the X-Men era. Like, I think we've earned that.
0: Yeah, uh, we went from like having a passing familiarity familiarity to it to like a good.
1: familiarity. I'd, yeah. I'd give like, us good. I, we're not vi- in depth.
0: Like, I feel like it's this weird thing where, like, I think comics that you read when you're younger and probably because you read them over and over again, but also because just the age you are, they stick with you even more and are more important.
1: That's true. And we won't
0: have that. Like, I won't think about these issues the same way I think about, like, I don't know, the Peter David, Todd McFarlane, Hulk run. You're right. uh, Which I read very early in my comic book reading or as we've talked about the Steve Ditko Spider-Man comics. That I read so many times early on. Like I just will never know this as well. That's just not gonna happen for me. But uh, I do now know a lot more. And I guess we'll talk about that when we're done.
1: Yeah. Um and uh so let's just let's just dive into it, Kettle. Let's just get into these issues so we can get to our wrap-up. Okay. So 198 is a storm solo issue, art by Barry Windsor Smith, and he did the previous storm solo issue or it was storm and forge yeah this is literally a sequel right this is called life death 2 right so um the story is a little different storm has lost her powers was almost murdered in africa by Mm -hmm. hunters whose evil exploits she had foiled that's right but she survives she has survived that attack barely somehow yeah and i'm not quite sure doesn't how. doesn't make sense but a bullet to the head did not take out the depowered storm and she's kind of wandering around a literal storm in the desert trying to survive and she kind of goes through like an internal crisis where a bunch of hallucinations happen and it's like a little internal vision hero's quest of her to recover her you know strength metaphorically
0: yeah um and then like
1: she like stumbles onto like a a pregnant woman, yeah. Bus crash with a pregnant woman and it is who's badly wounded, and Storm decides she has to help her, and she walks her back to her the pregnant woman's village. Yeah. Uh,
0: so it's a pretty packed issue. I it's mean, pretty- Barry Winter Smith's art is not shockingly great. It's just you know he's a great artist. No surprise. It's, there. it's great, but that's not shocking, is what you're saying. Yeah, I'm not surprised.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, it's really good. Um. This is, you know, this is sort of an emotional issue where Storm has like, you know, hallucinations of uh, Forge talking to her and then of the X-Men talking to her uh, and Professor X and even Phoenix. Um, And she kind of, it's like, you know, this is your life revisiting of all the important people in her life since uh, her uh, introduction. Yeah. I mean, if there was a
0: knock against this issue is that, I don't know if this is as good as life death one and it, it, because it's the same artist and the same character, it's, it's so uh, hard not to just compare the two of them. And that issue I found like really like amazing. And this issue, I feel like, Oh, this is really good. And which is like, not a knock on it necessarily, but it's like, I kind of wish I almost wish a different artist did it so that I wouldn't compare it as much in my head.
1: Yeah, it's um, you know, I do remember reading this when it came out, and it, but I had not read much X Men at that time. Um, you know, it definitely like stood out as like a, as a um, you know, sort of different comic than what you would normally get. Um, there's yeah,
0: for sure, definitely.
1: There's no real supervillain, and it's a lot of just like thinking and monologuing and talking, and a a lot of a lot of emotions and dramatic feelings, and it, it is very X-Men-y. It's very X-Men-ish. You know, the angst and the drama and the, do I belong to this family? Insecurities. Uh, So it did stand out. But yes, now reading it now, in this run of stuff, I kind of recognize that uh, yeah, this is, in a way, Claremont go-to, you know? The journey inside one's mind and, like, hallucinations and mirages and is this person really here? No, they're not here. Am I really dead? No, I'm not dead. Like he's had a lot of different varieties of whoop, and now we're in the person's head for a couple pages.
0: Yeah, and just from a very superficial level, I think it's just like, oh, that first one was so good. Let's get Barry Windsor Smith back to do another Storm issue. Um, I'd almost wish, and I think actually maybe Barry Windsor Smith does do this. I wish he did like a solo for each character instead of one for Storm every time. Um. Like do night uh, nightcrawler one, do wolverine, do colossus. I think he does the wolverine one. He does like a weapon XY type thing, I think, at some point.
1: Oh, interesting. Here's a question for you. So at the end of the Storm kind of has her confidence back. She's kind of reborn spiritually and physically. She gets to that village of the pregnant woman and she like passes out and they care for her for a while. And then she meets and meets the shaman, the the leader of the tribe. Um and is and is moved by some actions and a story of his, and then she feels better. Why do you think she feels better? What what was her crisis of faith, and what gave it to her back? I don't know if I can answer that
0: question. Uh, I guess if anything, it's she's uh, she's like holding her like I don't know. She was a goddess at one point, and then went to the X Men, and in her hallucinations, like blamed them for taking her away from that uh and like taking it her away and bringing her to america where she couldn't be that anymore And a little bit i think maybe it's just uh i'm not a goddess i'm just a person and that's great too like i don't need to buy into my own hype
1: okay yeah uh
0: maybe that's it like in this last page she says something like i am not worthy is one of the last things she says in her caption uh, narration, uh, not in her well, thought balloons, but yeah, because she's got thought balloons and caption balloons. But she says, "I am not worthy." Like that's not that's an, an not an indictment. It's like she watches this guy kill himself so that the village has enough food to feed the baby, um, and she's like, "Oh, well, that's a really good person." You know what a sacrifice he made. Um, and I think she's just like, you know, this world's bigger than my me having powers or not or what whatever i'm worried about
1: yeah i think it's a little bit that claremont's just like well we're at the end of the book so she's inspired again (laughs) um you know it's time for her to be saved so she's saved time to put your spider-man costume on again spider-man no more is over (laughs) right yeah like so i um I mean what you're saying does make sense but I think you're doing more work I think than Claremont maybe did or it's also one of those things where she's blaming the X-Men in this issue for losing her powers cuz like it was while on an X-Men adventure that she lost her powers and so she's mad at Forge for creating the weapon that did it mm-hmm. and then she's mad which that there's I can I can see that and then she's yeah. mad at the X-Men just for putting her in danger Ah, uh, which she has been mad at Forge before this, but she yeah. hasn't been mad at the X Men for that. But now she kind of is this issue, it's,
0: or know. you know, she deals with that sort of deep seated. Maybe she was always a little bit angry at yeah. them, yeah. And now it's coming forward. Um, you know, she went on a vision quest, basically.
1: Yeah. Um, we've really reached. You know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess I'll say it in my wrap up. But I've read now so much X Men. And I know there's plenty that I have not read, even just of the Claremont stuff. But yeah, um, enough that I, you know, I've seen it work and not work. And I've seen it be original and I've seen it be kind of borrowing from its own bag of tricks, Uh, you know, in the way that's probably true of any comic where you read a hundred issues of it. But um, I can kind of see this one both ways. In a way, I see this as like, wow, it's so singular and special that they just focused on somebody and it's not a traditional bad guy battle and in another way i'm like yeah <laughs> she's done this a couple
0: times claremont has said that he never wanted to bring gene gray back um and i don't necessarily know if i believe that but i do think at some point he decided he didn't want to bring her back yeah um and i wonder if he ever wanted to give storm her powers back or if he wanted to leave her like he is kind of big on like these permanent changes a little bit like he wanted cyclops to sort of marry and leave the book.
1: Yeah, he wants, I wonder I wonder why he likes that. Is it like to leave his mark on it? Is it just like that? I think
0: there's something about that that makes everything feel more real, right? If a character dies and doesn't come back, or if a character can retire and marry, it makes these things feel less like shocks than more just like, oh, like, more like shock value and more genuine shocks. Like, oh, I can't believe Cyclops is gone.
1: Yeah, it's a bit more like Game of Thrones where like a main character can be taken off the map Yeah, and doesn't come back.
0: So I kind of wonder now, just because Storm hasn't had our powers for quite a long time and like Banshee is sort of gone. And he was yeah, like Banshee a never got member. his powers back. Yeah. I mean, he does at some point, uh, not in our run, like he has his powers in current comics. So he's like he got them back eventually, but certainly not in this long stretch of comics, which is a long time to go without like. Characters get better generally. Spider-Man breaks his arm every fourth issue of Spider-Man. He's taking a sling <laughs> off at the end of the issue going, don't need this
1: anymore. Yeah, I guess that's a, I wonder, um, it doesn't feel like Storm's getting her powers back anytime soon. Yeah. Um, it's pretty, I guess that's pretty cool. I huh? like the, the gutsiness to make those big changes. It's pretty crazy to take your most powerful character and take her powers away. I think so, yeah. Uh, you know, Professor X is walking again. Um, You know, his wheelchair. I mean, this, this is more of a surface change, but that is like his signature visual yeah. thing. The only other thing he could do would be like, you know, give him a big, like, head of hair.
0: Oh, now you're talking.
1: But give him like or Harry James Osborne McAvoy, hair. James
0: McAvoy hair.
1: Yeah. Give him some James McAvoy hair. Get him out of that wheelchair. You know, have him join the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> I mean, the guy knows how to play ball. ball. Uh, and then in a couple issues, Magneto's going to take over the X-Men and Professor X is gone for a while, years. Yeah, I don't know how long that status quo existed either. I can't remember. Um, I, it definitely, by the time I stopped reading superhero comics, Professor X was still gone. So it's at least two years. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's a long time. Yeah, the, the book becoming... is called the X-Men and X is gone. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Claremont's not a, not a, not afraid of that stuff. Um, what did you think of this issue, Kev?
0: Like I said, I, I think it was good. Uh, I, I enjoyed reading it. Um, and the only thing that I, the whole time I'm reading it, I was just like, oh, is, but this, how does this feel? You know, it's a sequel. Mm-hmm. Do I need Die Hard 2? Do I need Empire Strikes Back? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Yeah. And this one, I was like, I kind of wish it was treading different ground, I guess, uh, which is, not necessarily fair, like especially when things aren't collected. like this was a couple years, maybe later or at least at least a full year later. Yeah, uh, I don't remember when the first one was um, so it's not, you know, it might have been like if I was buying this month to month, I might have been like, all oh, right, we're doing this again. um but yeah, i I found it good, but not I wasn't blown away by it. I enjoyed it as much as I've been enjoying the last like nine or ten issues. Yeah,
1: Um which is to say it's very solid very good yes um let's go on to 199 then okay so 199 this is another claremont and john romita jr uh collaboration uh mm-hmm. and to me although a lot of stuff happens in it it's mostly setting up for the events of issue 200 i think
0: yeah and i okay. mean this is uh, maybe a commonly thing I say, but like this is my favorite of the three <laughs> issues we read. You love like the table setting issues. I like the table setting issues. They're just the most fun for me. Uh,
1: Cyclops comes back with his wife. Who's about to give birth to a child without
0: his wife, without his wife.
1: I'm sorry, but he comes back married and with a, and a, yes, and a, about to have a
0: baby. Yes. But he does not bring her with him like a good husband. He leaves his pregnant wife
1: alone. That's the Marvel way. That's the Marvel way. Um, then we got mystique. Uh, is ready to, she approaches a government agent and offers the Brotherhood of right. Evil Mutants to be like the U.S. government's kind of mutant police force.
0: Yep. Valerie Cooper is approached, yeah, to form the Freedom Force. So the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants is going to become Freedom Force, which feels a very forward-thinking thing when you think about like Freedom Fries and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, like the name Freedom being in it, it feels very... Uh, um, you know, America first type mentality there.
1: Yeah. Very, very sort of like this organization that is built to exert influence and authority over things is yeah. called freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: they're yeah. forcing freedom down your throat. Yeah. You'll be uh, as free
1: as you'll be as free as we want you to be. And we'll then kill
0: you if you're not free.
1: Also, Rachel Summers, the daughter of Scott Summers and Jean Gray from an alternate timeline uh, is sort of reckoning with her own, you know, seeing her dad who doesn't, he doesn't know that he's her dad. Yeah. Um, She goes back to Jean Gray's house in this timeline and deals with the memory crystal thing and yeah. wakes up her own Phoenix force or something like that. And I think, and I, and I think that crystal was Chris
0: Claremont's way of giving himself a back door to bring Jean Grey in and this issue, he sort of smashes it. And I think this is the issue where he goes, I don't need to bring Jean Grey back.
1: Yeah, I think you might be right.
0: That's how I read that. It was like, Rachel's my new Jean Grey. Um, and I do think it's a more interesting choice. Uh, Rachel's a very interesting character, particularly in these issues.
1: I, I'm really loving Rachel and I, you know, and her and her like future as the hound, like, you know, it's so sad and dystopian, but also kind of intriguing and stuff. I, I do really like Rachel's character. Um also Magneto, they want to, oh yeah. So Mystique is charged or is tasked with capturing Magneto that Valerie Cooper's like, all right, you want to be the freedom force? Get me a Magneto and we'll talk. And so the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, now freedom force, they um, Magneto, they attack Magneto. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the X-Men defend him and win but
1: then Magneto turns himself over. <laughs> yes, uh, he at the end of the issue, the cliffhanger is that he resigns, he resigns, and he allows himself to be handcuffed, and he's going to be put on trial. Um, also, Professor X is very sick. That's also revealed. He's dying. Yeah, uh, the 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 beating that he got a couple issues ago from the anti mutant students at his university have left him in a very weak state, and he and he's dying.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's why Cyclops has been brought back to de- you know. Because, you know, his surrogate father is uh, on his deathbed. Uh,
1: One interesting thing about these recent issues is we have like sort of a classic X-Men lineup who are actually all around, especially with Cyclops back. Yeah. You know, now we got like Cyclops, Cyclops, Colossus, Kitty, Nightcrawler, Wolverine and Rogue. And then Storm comes back in issue 200. And that to me is the X-Men. Yeah, and, and, and I don't I, think of Banshee as the X-Men. I don't think no. Easter, Thunderbird or Fire, Sunfire, of course, but um, it's this is my X-Men blind. Yeah, up. this is who I think of as the X-Men, too.
0: Uh, Kitty Pride also is going by Shadowcat now, which I guess is a name she got in the second Wolverine miniseries, the Wolverine and Kitty Pride miniseries. She became Shadowcat. Okay. Um, it, that's what it seems to be that she got that name, but that's the name I've always associated
1: with her. Okay um i've always just thought of her as kitty pride which i've said before and i if that's true of a lot of people it's interesting that she's such a popular character who who to me doesn't really have a standard costume or alias but that's just in my impression so maybe i'm wrong about that
0: no i think that is true now i just think for this era she was in this costume by this name for a long time like Mm. again i read her all through excalibur that's the costume she wore and that's the name she had and so it really imprinted on me that she's shadow cat and i thought that was a cool name Rachel Summers who sometimes goes by phoenix i guess and has a different name now has always been rachel to me um, uh yes jean gray has always been jean gray because marvel girl's kind of a dumb name and phoenix is more of a temporary name
1: i think of her as jean gray or i sometimes do think of her as phoenix yeah uh, and i never think of carol denvers as binary no, I she was Miss Marvel and
0: Warbird when I first knew her, but she didn't really mean anything to me. I didn't care about that character until she became Captain Marvel in recent yeah. comics. So, yeah, I think it's, that was a very good late change to that character. I think it really helps her cement herself.
1: What do you think it is about the table setting of this issue that you like? Is it just you get to visit these characters and see them just kind of hang out or?
0: Yeah, I just don't, I don't think I care about the overarching plots as much as I care about seeing these characters, you know, bounce off each other, bounce off decisions and have those sort of moments. Like I like training room sequences and seeing like Rachel wrestle with seeing Scott. That's more interesting to me than any fight or any like, you know, taking Professor X off the table. That's a big move, but I'm more interested in like Rachel just, you know, going, oh, should I tell Scott, he's my dad. Right. Um, and, uh, and I'm more excited for that
1: to play out than anything else. Uh, it's uh, interesting that Scott can't tell. I mean, Rachel kind of looks like Jean Grey a lot. Um, that's one of those funny like superhero things where it's like, well, we just need him to not notice similarities. Well,
0: remember, he didn't know Corsair was his father until he himself grew a mustache. So maybe he grew like a long <laughs> ponytail like like Rachel had.
1: Or put on like studded uh, uh, studded costume then he'd see it. Um, Kevin, I know this is fast, but should we move right into issue 200? I think so. Okay. So this is, this is issue 200. It's a double-sized issue. It's the last one we're going to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, for now at least. I guess anything's possible. Never say never. Jean Grey came back. We might come back to Mutants. Yeah, maybe next
0: week we'll do more X-Men.
1: Maybe next week we'll just do it forever. Uh, but this is called the trial of Magneto and Magneto has turned himself into the government and he's going to go on trial in front of, uh, not even the government, the world government. So like the UN basically is going to create a special court to try Magneto for his crimes against humanity. Yeah. Special tribunal of the international court of justice. And he's going to face them. Cause he's, his logic is like, uh, you know, I could, I certainly with his powers, he could escape and be on the run forever but let's have it out like let's actually confront the in his mind unfair charges against him and try to quell the anti-mutant uh fervor by facing it
0: yeah it's interesting he basically is saying like i did do some bad things but i had good reasons
1: right that's one
0: big part of his argument and the other big part is i was a baby and reborn i know (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's that is funny. like a
0: that is like a she hulk dance he, slot exactly court it, case
1: it's a very she hulk uh lawyer defense which is like i mean that's true right he was turned into a baby like in the time that we have read x-men when we see magneto for the first time in the new x-men era we see him get turned from a baby into an adult and that's the first time he's not been a baby in a little while. Right. So <laughs> all of the Chris Claremont Magneto adventures are post Magneto baby. Yeah. Right.
0: PMB. He was pretty much a villain in those first couple adventures. But uh, but he also only was like attacking the X-Men. He wasn't I Guess he did like did he try to take over the world once?
1: I can't it was remember. It pretty
0: ineffective.
1: He didn't do any like and I forget. But I what the argument they make here is, is that since he grew from being a baby. Yeah. He it wanted like, lo- yeah. Let's throw out everything before that. Because that throws out a lot of, you know, laser on the moon, frying a whole town in Eastern Europe kind of behavior. Yeah. And like using, you know, just like mustache twirling, 60s Magneto. Yeah. Uh, just indefensible acts. Like it throws them out. Yep. Uh, and it's kind of, kind of a clever thing. And then they only have to defend the things he's done in the Claremont era. And most of that has been just him versus the X-Men in Quiet. Yeah. And in recent, the recent like 50 issues, he's been more good than bad. Yeah. So, it's so an, he's got it's a, got a better attack.
0: case. He's got a better case if he can throw out his pre baby.
1: Yeah. The pre baby stuff, there's no defense. So, the, and they do kind of spend time on the trial here. And, and that's also like, even in the pre She Hulk um, lawyer era, like there was the trial of Reed Richards, right? And it's mm-hmm. kind of funny. Byrne does this too. Like, Byrne. And Byrne had already done that. Like John Byrne in the pages of Fantastic Four did the trial of Reed Richards where like an intergalactic cosmic court tries Reed Richards for not killing Galactus when he had the chance. Yeah. Um, That's that one. And like, you know, and Reed basically says, has that happened by this point for sure? That definitely has happened because it was like, it was, yes, I'm sure. I believe, I
0: believe, I just don't remember when that happened. That was closer to the end of Byrne's run. Yeah, but I think that X Men Two, because it's after they fight Galactus and Burns
1: Run. That's right. Because okay. that's when he could have killed them. I'll look it up to make sure, but I think no, it's. I'm inter- sure you're
0: right. I don't. Uh, the timing. Actually, I have no. I have no idea.
1: I'm going to save our listeners the. They don't have to give a no prize to fix our mistake. I'll. I'll. I'll figure it out. Can you? Can you uh, vamp here while I look this up? And you'll just give them no prizes anyway. I'll give no prizes to anybody who asks, but they won't have to do any work for it.
0: That's nice of you. Uh yeah, Magneto's wearing a stupid costume. I prefer his red costume in this. Um and oh, also the X-Men have come back from Asgard. We skipped sort of a
1: big uh, adventure.
0: A big adventure with the new mutants in Asgard with art by art Adams that is very, very popular. And I've actually read that. That's what maybe the earliest X-Men thing I'd read as a kid. And I loved that as a as a kid. I mean possibly i read it because of the art i mean you bought it so i don't know why that was but i think that is where my love of the new mutants really began was that those stories but the x-men are back in like you know from this crazy adventure in asgard and they get dropped off in the middle of magneto's trial which is also just insane
1: uh yeah so this is two years after the trial of reed richards okay that's like to september reed richards, and reed richards was found guilty and was killed right He was found guilty and killed. And the Fantastic Four became the Fantastic Fab Four and the Beatles replaced them. Mm. So um, this issue kind of and again, it's weird that these former collaborators have like parallel stories. Um, I kind of don't really think that Claremont would copy Byrne. I think it's more that they probably just thought independently and also putting your characters on trial and having them deal with that is not limited to burn or Claremont. That's like a thing that happens in lots of long narrative arcs.
0: Yeah, it's more similar in um, Trappings than anything else, because Reed and Magneto are completely different characters on trial for completely different reasons. Like what, like it, it, Magneto's on trial, he is a villain, and Reed Richards is a hero.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, the similar, the funny thing is Reed pleads guilty. Like to the charge of letting Galactus go, he just says, I am guilty. And then just says that charge is not a crime. Uh, I'm guilty of a thing, but that thing's actually shouldn't be a crime because he's a force of nature and can't be. Would hurt the universe to remove him. I think it's something like that. And then like mm-hmm. Magneto is like, uh, "I'm not guilty because uh, I was I protecting. I used to be a baby, or <laughs> I was protecting myself."
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: It'd be pretty funny if he did it like that. He's like, "I am not guilty." Wait, what are you talking about? Uh, when you tried to kill all of humanity? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's before I was a baby. And what are you talking about? Uh, recently (laughs) you attacked Stalingrad, yeah. Yeah, I was protecting myself. Okay, I'll (laughs) go over on the whiteboard. I'll I'll have two columns pre baby, post baby. Uh,
0: meanwhile, there's a a bunch of attacks happening that are worldwide uh, that are that seem to seem to be from the X Men saying Magneto, free Free Magneta, sign the X Men, -Men, and it's to make the X Men look guilty. Uh, so the X Men are sort of running around trying to prove that they didn't do that, and so they do that by showing up on the scene of every place where they have been framed
1: and looking suspicious yeah it's a weird defense right i mean Um, it doesn't work great uh we also have professor x who is dying is part of the defense team against magneto so professor x is defending magneto something that 1960s x-men fans would be completely shocked to see uh we got a fastball special in this issue kev uh, um, at one point, when the X-Men are fighting uh, a bunch of, like, robots at some point.
0: Yeah, Colossus um,
1: throws Wolverine. Uh, the, okay, yeah, and it turns out that the X-Men realize they've been suckered. All these attacks deliberately meant to draw them away from the court because there there is an attack on the court to kill Magneto. Just right. to kill him from the superpower twins called Fenris, who I do not recognize, but I assume that they were in some like Iron Fist <laughs> werewolf by Night crossover that Claremont wrote in 1976 or something like that. I think they also
0: were the um, characters from the recent uh, mutant show that was on Fox that I can't remember the name of. There was some X-Men-ish
1: show. Is it just called mutant x or something like that i forget what it was called oh, no, i never even heard of this it wasn't legion right
0: no no it wasn't legion but it was right around that same time and uh i think fenders were like the main characters oh and I, I, uh, wow. it was definitely a, a brother and sister who had powers when they touched each other
1: well they're, they're in the boys the boys has two villains who like they're twins who have to hold hands yeah. and like hate each other that's in the like orgy episode.
0: Yeah, yeah, In the most recent season. This was before that. It was definitely an X-Men-ish type thing.
1: There seems to be a series that's just called Fenris.
0: No, that's not it.
1: Okay, that's not it, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's some movie. I don't know, that's some Scandinavian. That's a totally different thing. Please ignore that I've said that. That's a Fox X-Men show,
0: and I'm just going to Google that, and it's called The Gifted. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, and I don't I'll remember what if the characters were called Fenris on this, let's see the casting characters. Like, yeah. they're Oh, Reed Strucker and Caitlin Strucker.
1: Yeah. That's their names here.
0: Were the oh, the, no, they have different that's first parents. Names. That's the parents. Okay. Lauren Strucker and Andy Strucker.
1: Yes. Yes. Um,
0: And, you know, uh, Blink was one of these characters and uh, John, John Pr- Proudstar Thunderbird was one of the characters. Polaris was one.
1: Wow, I never even, I don't remember noticing this at all.
0: I mean, I don't, I don't, it didn't run. I think it either did one or two seasons, two seasons. Don't think it did well. I watched the first episode and enjoyed it fine.
1: Anyway, that's the only place I know them from. Um, well, they want to kill Magneto, Kev. And so, uh, they show up to do it. And it turns out all these other things that looked like it was trying to ruin the X-Men's reputation was just trying to get the X-Men away from the courthouse so they couldn't defend Magneto.
0: Also, uh Kitty Pride needs glasses that's a big moment in this yep I think yeah. that's a page is given to that storyline
1: um uh and at the end Magneto is saved and his trial doesn't happen because partly because it's revealed the prosecuting attorney hates mutants so much that he's kind of kind of like discredited
0: yeah but uh uh does is the trial? Finished or does Magneto just end up running anyway because he needs to take over the X-Men?
1: He just runs away. I think the trial does the trial doesn't does not resolve. Yeah. It gets like interrupted and they're like, all right, forget this. Because the Star Jammers come and take
0: Professor X away to try to save him. And Professor X asks Magneto to take over for him while he's gone, which might be forever. Which might
1: be forever, yeah. it's
0: definitely Man, years. Magneto, said, Magneto thinks they won't accept him, and I think there is some issue with that initially. Um, uh, and that I mean yeah, that's that's so crazy. Imagine being in I mean the New Mutants that era of the New Mutants was very fun. The idea that like they went from like I mean Professor X is largely a jerk, but Kitty Pryde was right, but a, but it but a good a good hearted jerk mm-hmm. to like a supervillain in charge of them, and they don't get any say in that. Yeah, uh, it is pretty crazy, but he is like a very
1: good headmaster. And he's way more powerful than Professor X right now. And he's strong. He's almost like a wartime president more than a peacetime yeah. president.
0: And he, and if his job is also to keep the X-Men and Numian safe.
1: There's almost nobody for better, better for the yeah. job. Yeah. yeah. He's great at it. Looks like there's a different artist or at least a different inker on a couple of these pages. Uh, the page where Magneto pulls Professor X out of a fountain and Professor X is like, you have to take over. Like the actual page where he passes the torch. Mm hmm. It looks like it doesn't look like John Romita Jr. art. It looks like one of the guys who did Sandman, or at least it's a different inker, maybe. Um, I mean,
0: I would just imagine that John Romita Jr. does different levels of details. Like this is a uh-huh. long issue. He hasn't really. I mean, he had one issue off, but he's had two or three double issues in that time. Uh, I I think he's just one of those guys who like mm-hmm. can do really tight pencils and can do really light pencils, and I think that might just be it because there's nobody else credited on this. That doesn't necessarily mean there wasn't some sort of bullpen assistance yeah the last couple pages almost have like a giffen like quality to them like that very last page
1: uh the very last but that does look like john meter jr to me but yeah it's getting it it is it's giffen-esque it's like it's very sketchy
0: yeah like that last panel of uh magneto and or the the one right above it with rachel those all look
1: very giffen-y to me they do you're Um, right i agree um love the keith giffen art yeah um it's an incredible it's an incredible issue. Uh I I'm I, I'm not selling it enough. Like it's the changes that have happened in the last 20 issues overall. Mm-hmm. Storm losing her powers, Magneto takes over the X-Men, the brother
0: gets glasses,
1: Kitty Pryde gets glasses. These are all equally crazily <laughs> big changes. Um but you know Brother of Evil Mutants becomes like the Freedom Force or whatever. That there's there's you know the more the Morlocks and the X Men are kind of friends now, mm-hmm. um, Ilyana and, and just and just the just the arrival of the New Mutants and all those stories like it's it's we're in a much different X Verse than we were in like yeah. issue 150. Rogue and Rachel joining the team, yeah, Rachel showing up. Um, it's uh, it's hugely different, and I'll say these last like 10 issues. That we read were really good. I mean, it's kind of too bad that we're stopping now. i am, i I want to move on just for variety' sake. It's not like, I want yeah. to, It's it's a little bit like he seems to be hitting some kind of stride.
0: Yeah, I mean, from a from a more self centered standpoint, how much more do we have to say about it? Nothing other than like waiting for it to get bad. Right, Maybe right. At it'll some be, point, it'll... it will get worse, and we'll be like, oh yeah, I'm not enjoying it anymore. I'm not enjoying it anymore. I'm, not, I'm like. Then we'd have different things to say, but like that's not really what the point of this was. We wanted to visit these comics that everyone loved and and bask in
1: that, not not read till it got bad and go, overstay your welcome. Well, I, I guess another argument to for us to stop covering it. I mean, first of all, we can just do whatever we want. We are the rules, right? We are the that's beyonders right. of this podcast. Mm-hmm. But um, it's like we have now seen Claremont deliver the X-Men from their you know, the beginning of the new X-Men, All, you know, not the very first issue, but starting with issue two of these guys, uh, we've seen him go through the John Byrne era, through some of the most popular issues of superhero comics ever. And then around, there is like a little bit of a stasis here. This is now like fully Claremont's X-Men. It's not Claremont and Byrne. It's not Claremont and Len Ween not Claremont and Paul Smith. Like he has now been with enough collaborators that he deserves his name on this, on yeah. these comics. It's his, right? Like, um, where, whereas in Days of Future Past, I, I think it would be unfair to call that Chris Claremont's X Men. That's Claremont and Byrne.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, and he's also brought them from, you know, kind of cool, quirky indie film to blockbuster mega franchise in a way right like yeah now whose, that the fame, new whose fame exist,
1: persists now
0: yeah know? now that the new mutants exist it, that's just the first crack in what will become an empire a little mini empire inside the marvel universe right yeah x-factor is not too far off and then excalibur uh comes after that and then you know you've got um x-force event new mutants becomes x-force and like and, and at the same, same things time just spin and grow and, and- build
1: and Wolverine becomes one of the premier Marvel characters ever. Like he sort of transcends even the X-Men in a way.
0: Yeah. That maybe has already happened by this point. Yeah. Thought, or, it's, or, it's, or it's, it's already started for sure. I don't like, I feel like by the time Marvel comic presents begins and he has the lead feature in the first like 30 issues of that or whatever. Yeah. And I think of that, I mean, he probably also already has a solo book and he's in the X-Men at that point. He's insanely popular. I don't know when that was. That's probably a little later. Yeah. Um, but he's—I mean—all over the place. He's—I um, mean—he's already starting to become a guy who's. I guess he hasn't quite done it. He's about to like enter this phase where he just guest stars in everybody's book.
1: Right. Right. Um. So, Kevin, let's do a, let's do a wrap up here. Sure. So let me ask you, Kevin, as a comic book expert, you know, you're one of the people that I see as just one of the experts who's read so much, and you're a smart and thoughtful person most of the time. And what what is it about? You've read this run now. Is it good and why? What's important about this? I think there's, I'd say there's three things.
0: Ooh, I love lists that like set this apart. One is like the variety of characters. And and I mean that both in like the power set, but also in like genders and races and sexual identities and styles and say like, like this is the least homogenous book, and that just like opens up so many different storytelling avenues that no other book, no other mainstream book had. Right, so that's one big thing. Two, I think it is that this that this book has permanent changes. Mm-hmm. This isn't Spiderman getting the black costume for like a ten ten issues. Right. This isn't you know. She hulk joining the Fantastic 4 for a while and I mean that was a decent size change but like it's still reverted it, and you knew it would right, right like These right. Changes you knew it at this point they still feel permanent um at this point you'd have to think storm is never getting her powers back like jean gray never came back to life like cyclops might come back i would feel like that if i was reading this cuz he's back in the book now yeah
1: it's like, ah, how long can he stay away? He is the first X, and he looks here great. Like having a, having Cyclops <laughs> yeah. back, it's like, oh, this it just looks like the X Men with Cyclops here. But he is settling down
0: and having a kid, and it feels like that's going to happen.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and so like these changes just feel so permanent. Like, and I would be reading this book going, "How long is Colossus on this team for? How long till Kitty Pride is the leader? You know, like these characters are going to this." is a this is a team that will constantly change and morph and and become a new thing and the fact that it's been good in all those versions is like oh this book wasn't just good because of like banshee right this is, right, this right. is a good book like you could change these characters you can add rogue to the book and add rachel to the book and get rid of gene gray and it still works so i think that that like those are the two big things i said three but i think i was sort of combining the cool powers and the. uh the diversity of a team
1: yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna give three i'll give three. Oh, did, kevin did i interrupt you go ahead no uh, that's I, my
0: I, three so i think those two plus this uh, uh permanent changes that were sort of happening
1: which I'm you a, couldn't
0: get away with like in a mainstream book right like you couldn't do this in a mainstream book because i the eyes are on it more and up to this point or up until recently no one cared what happened to the X-Men and then it's working. So you're not going to mess with it.
1: Yeah. The only, really the only comparison I can think of is game of Thrones where like from season to season, I assume from book to book, you know, you would become very attached. Oh yeah. The game of Thrones was a book before it was a show. No, I don't buy it. There's no such thing as books. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think so either. Not without pictures. Uh, So, you know, like you lose a major character who is just, Functional in so many stories, and then it's just gone, and you got to just live with it. Um, and like the society and the world of Game of Thrones is more important than almost any character in it. And uh, he was kind of he kind of got there with X Men, that's pretty amazing. Um, I'll say three things. My three things would be one, I agree that I'll say that like youth and diversity, like it's a young diverse team not just in modern demographic diversity although yes that but like you say the powers like wide range so uh two i would say um the kind of like focus on character over plot like in a way the plots were sometimes just bad or at least badly paced and like not resolved i just don't think claremont is a plot guy i don't think he's good at that um, whereas like I think Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore, for example, are amazing at plots in addition to other things. But Claremont is good at character and he would really have the guts to like rest a story on character moments. Um and so that might so two is character moments, and three is uh soap opera, like you know, the drama, the like I love I love you like I've never loved anybody, and like, oh no, I, I'm gonna change my answer. <laughs> I'm going to put that under character moments. Character moments is soap opera three is us against the world. Like that's so crucial to the X-Men. It's like the world's out to get us and we have to stick together. Like that is so crucial to the emotional appeal of the X-Men. They're, they're the outsiders who have to protect yeah. each other. Like um, it's really become a big, it was all, it's always been a part of the story since before Claremont took over, but in the last like 20 or 30 issues with the Senate and the God loves man kills, It's it's, you know, it's become even more central to just like the tone of this. Nobody trusts us. I mean, I think this was true of
0: Marvel Comics more in this time anyway. But like, I think most books sort of lived in their own little bubbles. A lot of times they would cross over here and there, but not as much as they do in current comics. But I think that really served the X-Men well, too, like that they didn't. The Avengers weren't showing up all the time. Yeah spider-man wasn't swinging by every issue like that they largely existed in a world where you could almost forget there were other superheroes i I think that really helps them i think that helps them more than it does many characters
1: right because it as we've said before it doesn't totally make sense that the x-men would be feared and the avengers loved yeah or whatever so like um if that is true and you can do some work to make that true but uh, but if you don't see the Avengers, you don't have to worry about that. You can just see yeah, you that the X-Men are it. persecuted.
0: Um, I also think like this sort of edit, the fact that it was working and, and doing well and did it behind the scenes, like I think what starts to hurt the X-Men later on, and I don't know this because I haven't really read much of this. And our friend Brett White would disagree because he loved this era. But like when like the editorial got more involved, and, like more spinoffs and more crossovers and do this and do that and bring Jean Grey back and like, not that necessarily Chris Claremont was always right, but like when editorial was making little nudges, they were probably doing good stuff. But when they were making big, big demands of the titles, then it starts it's like the 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 title starts serving Marvel more than like Marvel helping the titles.
1: Yeah, my I feel like it's even it it happens sometimes even in the issues we read where it gets too diluted. Like there's just there's too many characters there's too many characters who are kind of redundant with each other. Like I mixed up hellfire club and brotherhood of evil mutants last episode or the episode before. I don't think that's so hard to do actually. And there's a lot of things like that where it's like, Oh, these two characters are kind of the same. Like, why do we even have Madeline Pryor and Jean Grey? That's And Rachel summer.
0: I mean, Madeline Pryor
1: makes no sense. Yeah. And like there's, there's just, it's, it's pretty vast, you know, like the Starjammers and yeah. then the Scottish, you know, the Moira Metagart wing. And uh, and if we're listing things that don't
0: work, it's obviously like, and I, I can't really blame him for this, but like Claremont's like pet characters. I don't think it necessarily helps the book to keep bringing Carol Danvers back in, even though I understand why he's doing it. And to like tie in his Marvel team up plots like Cool and and things that, like that. That stuff hurts the book. Yeah, no, I get it, and he's not the only writer to do that. Like, lots of writers bring their plots from other yeah. books over. I, the but, the
1: two biggest weak. Oh, you go ahead, Kevin. I'm so it, excited yeah, to it, talk. I'm interrupting. But it me. just Sorry. it
0: just those are the things that bothered me the most. And like, I agree. Like, I don't know. Like, Lee is now with Magneto, and it's like it just feels random that this girl that psychos on a boat is now with Magneto.
1: It's like this character just shouldn't be in the book anymore, probably. <laughs> Yeah, and maybe didn't maybe we didn't need her to begin with, like, or maybe she should be married to Scott and not Madeline Pryor. Like, she would that have made more to, sense. Yeah, like he's. So, I mean, I uh, you know the I, I the the two things about Claremont's era that I really dislike are yeah his insistence on reusing things. I think just because he made them, not necessarily because they are good. Uh, although he did make a lot of things that were good. I think if if he made them, he just assumed they were good. And, I, and I'm like, yeah, that, that hurt the book a lot. And it, and it frustrated me a lot of times. I was like, you're not – in a, it felt egotistical to me and not being a responsible storyteller. And then uh, the second thing is I hit the plots. Yeah, like he really just would m- not pay any mind to satisfying endings or resolutions. There were lots of little logic jumps that didn't make sense right power sets were inconsistent uh i, I guess but, that's not as important as stuff but, but, but we uh, also
0: enjoyed that in the early issues right we enjoyed the sort of fly by night nature i of did the book, i it was sort of like myself it they got like, out of set hand. things up and it would be like how are you going to resolve this like it doesn't feel like you know and i don't think he did frequently
1: that you're right i'm contradicting myself but i guess there's got to be a middle ground between i guess you if you don't have so many balls in the air you will be able to resolve it even if you didn't plan it in advance and if you've got 15 and four of them are clones of each other there's no way to resolve it in a way that makes sense and that certainly is a complaint i've heard about
0: claremont's x-men before i even read it was that he like had so many dangling plot lines when he left but like many of them were dangling for years and years and years where it wasn't like oh, if he had, had a few more issues, he could have wrapped this up. It's like, no, he wasn't. He might never have wrapped some of those up. Those he maybe had forgotten about or well, there's too many of those. Um, but also he was probably writing three or four books at a time. So it sort of does make sense that they would compound on each other.
1: Yes, uh, he uh, he he was writing a lot. Um, I think, you know, something I've learned for better or for worse is Claremont's strengths and weaknesses. Like Claremont really did loom large in my mind as like, an untouchably great talent just because I respected his legacy so much. And while he is an incredibly important writer, I still stand by that. He's probably the second most important writer after Stan Lee in terms of his impact on the Marvel universe. I'm not even sure if anybody else comes close.
0: Yeah. But, I can't think of anyone,
1: but his quality as a writer, I see, I see the, you know, warts and all bit aspect of it. Like um the, you know, the things we just said, like, the X-Men also wasn't perfect. There's huge amounts of flaws in this run. I do think, and I know this is a very basic take, but the Claremont burn issues, I think are the most consistently strong ones. Like they really complemented each other. Maybe it was an unhappy, uneasy alliance, but the result was great. Like those issues I think was the best run. Although there were great issues outside of that run too, but like, man, they were on fire when they were to get together.
0: Yeah, my second favorite run I think was the John Romita Jr. stuff. I uh, agree I agree with that. No knock on Paul Smith or Cockrum, but uh this John Romita stuff I think worked.
1: Well, we really, you know Co- well. Cockrum's visual design is, you know, without peer. Yeah. Like his costume design is just terrific. Um if if Claremont is the second most important writer, who
0: is the most important artist outside of like Kirby and Ditko? Yeah.
1: I mean that's a I mean, really It might interesting...
0: be it probably it was probably Romita because he was like Created the house style, but after that, after those three.
1: Um, let's see, what are some contenders? Well, Frank Miller might be a contender, but really he's more of a writer than an artist in terms of his impact. I mean, it might be Byrne, right? Between X-Men and, and uh Fantastic
0: Four. And Fantastic Four. And he cut, didn't he do all the covers to like oh no, is that George Perez who did the cut? Co- no, George Perez did the DC Universe covers. I just feel like something about Byrne's drawings of a lot of characters became like in my mind. The standard for a long
1: time. I mean, in terms of volume, John Romita Jr. has got a pretty good argument. Like for volume and quality per he's still going. Yeah, like in terms of like quality innings, like you know, who's given more quality innings to the Marvel comic book universe than John Romita Jr.? Like that's yeah, but but he might not have had the impact that like even like David Mazzicelli had in so many fewer issues yeah you know like influence bilson kevitz had a, had a lot of yeah um you know, simonson
0: Neil, to, to a lesser extent george perez might be the answer to just for his Avengers and ff runs uh
1: simonson yeah had a huge influence perez just for you know all these guys that maybe wasn't anybody who like yeah stood out and like dominated the way like i, I mean jack kirby's it by a mile right? i was just like, trying to
0: think who is the claremont of artists
1: you know i, I like that i like that uh I like that question. Um, yeah. You know what I I really think it's Neil Adams is the guy after Kirby who influenced everybody. And he's much more of a DC guy. Yeah, I like, would think
0: he is a DC guy, yeah, even though he was on the X-Men book.
1: I just think he changed the way every single person saw comics, like whether whether you drew like him or not. Like that's a style that is its own and is almost a house style of itself. I mean, mm-hmm. I still think Neil Adams is a vocabulary word in my mind. I'm like, oh, what did Neil Adams Drawing this is or something, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, Kev. It's a great question. I don't know how to answer it. um You know, we interviewed Chris Claremont, and it's amazing that we did. And I'm not sure it. I, I kind of wish we'd read all this first. We would we would have more informed questions. It it might have affected the interview at all because he kind of had his talking points he wanted to yeah. say, sort of regardless of what we were saying. But we, we I would have understood more of his references.
0: I would have um, had more to ask for sure. Um, if we talk to him now. Obviously I've just churned through more of his stuff.
1: Yeah. Just having just knowing a lot more of a where and and he was really ready to talk about the plots and the stories of the stuff he wrote. Like it's yeah. still in his brain very, very passionately. Um uh, okay. Well, I, I guess I guess that's it. I I mean, I wanna I just want to say respect to the X Men. <laughs> uh i want to be like owen burke here and just say Mm -hmm. respect like respect to the x-men and and what a pleasure it's been up and down brood and days of future past like i'm really glad we did it and we did so much of it yeah Uh, it's
0: nice to have this important gap filled
1: uh and i'm sure we feel like
0: we're almost ready to start our podcast our first episode
1: i think so too i think we, we should start releasing these um all right. So, you know, if you, we'll always be open to anybody's comics opinions, but uh, X fans, if you want to write in and tell us something we missed, or, you know, if we could go back and read more, what you'd have us do, we can write us at screwitcomics at Gmail, Twitter, screwitcomics, and Instagram, screwitcomics. But we'll take a break and do more mailbag stuff, right, Kev?
0: Yeah, let's do a couple at least so we can keep the mailbag in the title. Okay. <laughs> Hi, this is Kevin. I'm here with my brother, Will, and we are the hosts of Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, our weekly podcast about comic books.
1: And we want to hear
0: from you. We have a slew of social media accounts. A slew. You can email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com or see us on Instagram at screwitcomics or tweet at us at screwitcomics.
1: So tell us what you think of the comics you like or the comics you don't or things we've talked about on our episodes. Or send us some life advice. You can tell that we need it. Yes. We might read your message on a future episode of our show. So thanks in advance from screw it we're just going to talk about comics from campfire media and we're back kevin let's do a little mailbags just to like like you say just keep mailbags in the title okay um how do people email us will uh yeah screw it comics at gmail you can also follow us on instagram screw it comics or twitter screw it comics i beg of you to follow us on instagram i would love to get that account up to like 10 or 11 million followers. I think it really deserves it. Um, and you can email us about any opinion you have on comics. Certainly the stuff we're reading. Um, we're going to be covering a lot of stuff in the next next year. And we love your suggestions of what we should cover. Uh, even though we will never be able to get to everything that's suggested to us. But it's always interesting to hear that. So please write to us.
0: Okay, will, uh Let's start with this email from Brian. Uh, Brian Tidwell. And uh, this is an old one or not an old one. He's he's re- listening to an old podcast. He says, listening to your Stanley eulogy. And I have to say, you absolutely nailed my emotional journey with Stanley. Stan is amazing. Stan is a jerk. Stan was flawed, but it's still great. Thanks for making an amazing podcast.
1: I think that's a good summary of the journey I went through with Stan for sure.
0: Um. Ah, uh, Dan from Danbury, Dan Gelati, will I? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, fellow
0: hit. Hatter. Uh, he, he. This is in response, I think, to our Sandman episode uh, about the show. Sandman. Yes. Mm-hmm. His subject is: We want a fast-paced, action-packed TV show about sleeping. <laughs> uh, greeting, dream sops. Um, mm-hmm. I found a review of Sandman on Netflix. Dreamy. Uh, actually, I found it per. Uh, no, I found it perplexing. Actually. I think you were onto something about some of the directorial choices not being quite right. Uh, and for sure, certain sequences, which in the comic were jaw, jaw-dropping or so awesome, were only cool or okay in the comic. I'm thinking about Dream and Hell for me is one of the best sequences in comics. Dream goes into hell and leaves by terrifying Lucifer with hope. The hordes of hell are upon him, and with just a few words, he leaves, and the enclosing hordes of demons part like the Red Sea. In comics, it's badass. In TV, he walked out the back door, more or less. Uh, I enjoyed the pacing of the diner episode. It was a slow burn, and I thought it was effective. Throughout the show, they have done a good job of making stuff feel disturbing, but not, as Kevin remarked about Calliope, gut-wrenching. I also thought the wait for Morpheus to show was nicely done. My least favorite part was the concluding episode of the Dollhouse. It felt overly long and too simply resolved at the same time. Big ups to the kid Sandman, though, and the and the gold character. I think he means Golt. Uh, uh Goldie. Yeah, I'm not sure. The little little gargoyle. Um. Yeah. Maybe either that or Galt. Uh, one of the two. He means. Uh, oh, I did. Is, is, similar... that, is that the night? That's the night. Galt is the one who is protecting. Yes, that's what he means. That's for
1: sure what he means. Yes.
0: Uh, I did have similar reservations as Kevin when I saw the Corinthian introduced so soon, but I agree they end up using him nicely and he, and he never really was the big bad per se. I, uh, I too thought it was great. How everyone found him compelling, except maybe Rose and Gilbert. I enjoyed Lucifer, Joanna, Constantine and Morpheus, but they're definitely underplayed and understated. That mostly works for me, but I could see it
1: coming off as without energy. Dan from Dan from Danbury. Thank you, Dan. What a nice, careful listener of our review and a thoughtful response to it. I, I can see what he means. Uh, it it is it is difficult when a show is kind of in that middle quality, which I think the Sandman show is. It certainly isn't bad. It didn't thrill me, and that's a that's a strange criticism to to give to a show. It's frustrating, um, but I sort of stand by it. It is somehow underwhelming compared to exciting and overwhelming source material. But it, I it, I cannot quite articulate why it's true. My reasons kind of fall apart when I lay them out in front of me. It's interesting. Uh,
0: some shows that I, both shows I like and just like I, I find like most people who don't like a show don't like it for similar reasons or like it for the similar reasons. This show, the reviews I've read and heard what people like and dislike are so different from each other. It just feels like this show. Different parts are working for different people. It, it might just be like it, just how tricky the show was to do. Because um, like he liked that diner episode that you and I didn't really like. Yeah. Um, and I've heard other people didn't like it for completely different reasons than we didn't like it. A- mm. And, um, I don't know. It's, it's just a very, it's a weird show that I think it certainly wasn't perfect. And the comic you could say almost is maybe isn't perfect at that point though. Uh, um, yeah. But you kind of hold the show up to the standard of the comic as a whole, not the comic of the arcs.
1: Adaptations are so tricky. Uh, I'm thinking about peanuts recently because Kevin and I guessed it on a, uh, peanuts comic strip podcast recently that'll be out at some point but it put peanuts out of my mind and I was thinking about uh the peanuts Christmas special yeah uh, with the first animated peanuts special and that was a hit and that is maybe still popular it's certainly iconic yeah uh, and people know a lot of things from it I mean that was a success right but I I do think that in a way is a bad adaptation of the strip it doesn't feel like the strip to me uh it might be good in a different way. Uh, but a lot of people connected to that special for like different reasons. Uh, maybe maybe there's some hope that the Sandman TV show has that happen to it, where people connect to it because of it's its its own animal.
0: Yeah, I feel like the, the peanut specials adapted like one aspect of the peanut strip, but not less of like the funniness of it.
1: Yeah, the like, the, the strips they... are so funny and slapsticky and the show doesn't feel that way. The show feels more melancholy and like understated, and and yeah, it's way more. I mean, but there's
0: still like funny stuff, like the tree that Charlie Brown gets. But there's like more of a message there than you'd get in the the strips. It feels like yeah, less punchlines. Um. All right, thank you, Dan. Uh, Robert Christ emails us. Well, mm-hmm. he's emailed us a bunch. Um, with a subject: you get a participation ribbon. Uh, For as long as I remember, you two have said you don't do research, look up fact check, etc. Facts or points pertaining to the topic. You know important stuff, responsible stuff, podcasts would do. Well, in Mutants and Mailbags number 26, you talked all about when reading these issues, how you had to go back and check if certain characters were previously mentioned. And later in the episode, you re-recorded some audio because you referenced the actual name of the ham radio team. Did
1: you do that well? Yeah, I added in that. Yeah, the Teen Brigade.
0: Uh, you sirs have earned yourself a participation ribbon.
1: <laughs> I guess we're better than we used to be about that.
0: Yeah. So there you go. He then asks if we've played this bat. I don't know if we read this email, but I emailed him back about it, about, about a Batman dark Knight returns board game. He wants to know how it's been. I haven't bought it. Um, I think my response to him was like, it looks cool, but I don't know if I'll ever get it.
1: <laughs> I don't remember us talking about it, but that doesn't mean we didn't talk about
0: it. Yeah. I think I just responded to the email through emails. Um there's Dark a bar- Batman Dark Knight Returns board game and it looks complicated and cool but I don't have anyone to play board games with so I certainly didn't buy it. I'll get two copies. Okay. you uh, there you go. Um and then uh that's it that's it from Robert. Uh this is we're like we're, we're I'm reading some classic letter writers right now. This is from Justin again. Um he's got some official handbook uh <laughs> tips for us well. Um you guys, uh, so first of all, I'm skipping the preamble, but it's about the on goth X-Men issue yeah. as well. You flirted with it, but goth actually came from Conan, created by Roy Thomas. So I think he means Conan Comics created by Roy Thomas because Roy Thomas did not create Conan. Right. Um, uh, Roy Thomas kind of DC's proto-Busick Bus- and Barry Windsor Smith. He's interesting because his rights have gone back and forth to different companies. He appeared in Dynamite Comics Red Sonja series, if I remember correctly. Yeah, uh, more official handbooks, <laughs> facts. Amara, Will is wrong. Amara comes from a lost Roman society in Brazil, but they are contemporaneous with the history uh, of the Marvel U at the time. Okay. She's more like ultra super Amish. Okay, I see. The citizens of Nova Roma just never developed past 44 BC. <laughs> yeah, okay. that makes more sense. Okay. Uh, Marvel editorials waffled on the origin saying that Celine actually kept psychically pulling people to the city to keep it populated sometime in the 90s, I think. But I think they've gone back to the lost city out of time shtick. I didn't even know Celine was related to Amara, and I read those issues. I, didn't, I don't um, think I did either. That we just read. I assume that was mentioned there. But
1: um, Then he talks about Matter Eater Lad. I think we must have referenced him well. I mentioned Matter Eater Lad, talking about teams that maybe deserved more recognition, and I mentioned them, and you were like, they had a huge popular run. Well, then Justin Brin goes off on the Matter Eater Lad
0: issues of Keith Giffen's run on Legion of Superheroes five years later, which I have read and is very funny. But I'm not going to quote it for people here who have not read that Little Red comic. Okay. Uh, And then he recommends a deep Wally West run. I think that was one of the ones we had said we might do, maybe. Yeah. Uh, Our brother Brian Hines emailed. Ooh. He he says in a pinch would you guys ever cover a classically bad run of comics? The Clone Saga or Cosmic Spidey might fit the bill. Uh I don't know, it might be fun trying to find a diamond in those turds. And then he <laughs> says I'm a brilliant producer of ideas, Brian. <laughs> um
1: did we have thought about it? Um maybe we got a couple we got a handful of good things we want to cover first, so it won't it won't be next, but it's that is something we've flirted with.
0: Um this is more of an email to you, Will. It's from okay. Andrew Williamson. Uh, not sure if Will has considered playing Stan Lee on Comedy Bang Bang before, but every time you go into his voice, I'm laughing out loud. Uh, maybe the two of you go on as Stan and Jack or Stan and Steve and make insane pitches to Scott and calling people panty waists. Keep swinging, Milk Sops.
1: You know, I've thought about doing Stan Lee on Comedy Bang Bang, but I, my gut tells me somebody's done it. Like, I feel like somebody else has st- also lots of people do Stan Lee. like i feel like yeah it's just like a go-to voice for lots of casual comics fans and uh i don't know it's strange I, I i don't think i could claim that as my own well enough whereas when i did morpheus i was like no one's doing no one's doing morpheus like i felt like i could do him yeah um my favorite marvel comic uh, comedy bang bang character is joe wenger does a galactus ish character called like drax or something i know drax is a guardians of the galaxy but it's something that rhymes with that Uh, and it is so funny when joe does this galactic at one point Ackerman asks joe his pronouns and he goes uh everything slash everyone i guess or something (laughs) like that Um, that sounds funny it was very funny it's Eliza Skinner, Joe Wenger, and I don't remember who the celebrity guest was. Maybe Eliza was. I don't know. But um yeah, that's a that's a good comic one. But yeah, I I thank you. I I you know it's fun doing Stan. I feel like we all do Stan because it's we all know him so well.
0: Yeah, it's like SNL people doing Lauren Michaels. Yeah. Just feels like you gotta do him a little bit. Yeah. Uh and our last email uh for today is from Sean C. Uh post X-Men is the subject. Hey, milk sops. With the end of your X-Men run in sight, I'm sure you have your next plans formulated, but if you're looking for fan feedback, I would like to request a Dan slot run. You two regularly invoke his name in the show, and while I haven't read any large volume of monthly comics, every time I read something written by slot, I love it. would love to hear you guys go deep on a run of his. With admiration, Sean C.
1: We did do Superior Spider-Man. Isn't that a slot run? Yeah, I think he
0: means in uh, like a... A massive 100-issue thing like we did with Mutants and Mailbags. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Slot's pretty amazing. It's you, we, we would have a good time reading a lot of Slot comics.
0: Yeah. Uh, part of me, just because Amazing Spider Talk has covered so much of that and we're kind of friends of that show, makes it feel, like, redundant. But I think they started with Superior Era, so there's a lot untouched. I mean, I think they talk about some of the stuff before that. I don't know if they go issue by issue on that stuff. So it certainly is fertile ground, and we could certainly do that um uh should we announce what we're doing or should we do that in the um already heard uh, cold open
1: <laughs> i guess let's do it in the already heard cold open great okay so th- that's the end of our episode then will yeah so we'll see you guys next episode thanks for listening thanks to all you mutant fans for all your email and support and i feel like we had a we had a bump of listenership when we started doing the mutants so just like just like Marvel so, comics so we'll miss you <laughs> so we'll miss you I'm sorry done. now that we're gonna go do like you, you know whatever like werewolf by night annual like or, like, yeah, <laughs> or something but um thank you for listening and um see you next episode bye